work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or a traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. All right, good morning, Church on the Rock. <laughs> I love to see these uh, seats all filling up. Isn't it good to feel like uh, everything is starting to turn back to normal? I love it. I love it. And I love it that you've come back to worship and uh, enjoy what we have together uh, today. I want to thank you to all the new partners that are, are uh, signed up to be partners of Church on the Rock and uh, uh, how we're going to get together later on this evening and make some good decisions together. Uh, I, uh, a pastor, a good friend of mine, uh, a pastor, uh, they, they said to me, um, yeah, a little kid came up to them and uh, said this, pastor, pastor, I love your sermons. And you know, I said, oh, that's nice. That's great. What do you love most about it? And they said, I, I, I love it when it's finished. And uh, so I, I hope those of you can enjoy everything in between. And uh, those of you who are visiting are, are new with us. I hope you can sit back and relax and enjoy. We do series here at Church on the Rock about four weeks, uh, and we're at week three in Play the Movie Forward. Uh, we're at week three in Play the Movie Forward. 
I started off the whole series talking about a slight driving indiscretion. I'm going from Chicago to Hamilton. Instead of going straight east, I made a wrong turn and started to head towards Grand Rapids. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> if I didn't stop, if I didn't figure out I was on the wrong road, I'd be in Sault Ste. Marie, and uh, who knows, a nook to took if I just kept on going, right? So the idea is we're, we're talking that basically our direction determines our destination. Whatever road you're on is, makes sense about where you're actually going, where you're actually going. Some people... I say, you have the best of intentions. I want to go to Hamilton. I want to because it's an awesome city. The deal is, no matter what your desires, no matter what you want to have happen, the road that you're on determines your direction. And, and so we sort of stepped back and said, why do some people seem to have all the luck in life? Why do they have so many good things that always seem to come their way? Well, I know that some of life is unfair and random. We get that. I understand that. We're in a fallen world. Sometimes the world is random and unfair. But also, the Bible says there are patterns about how the world unfolds, that there's this thing called wisdom. And if you choose to look for wisdom, if you run after it, if you desire it, if you want to have wisdom, the Bible says there's all kinds of things that naturally follow down that road including long life and, and riches and honor. There's a lot of things that happen if we're on the road of wisdom. And so I thought, okay, can we just like take four weeks and talk about what wisdom is? This is just a little taster, so maybe you can dig into the book of Proverbs and, and, and gain some yourself and just sort of dig down. Because I want you to be able to live life with fewer regrets, making better decisions. So week number one, we sort of, we, we uh, did the title of our series, and we asked, you know, should, could we play the movie forward? We, we looked at an interesting uh, kind of person in the Bible called the prudent. The prudent sort of looks ahead, looks ahead. As uh, Eleanor Roosevelt uh, said, said, I am who I am today because of the choices I made yesterday. In other, other words, uh, the choices I make today, are, that's going to choose, choose what's going to happen tomorrow. And so the prudent person goes, okay, let's play the movie forward. How is this really going to play out? We do this with other people all the time, don't we? Somebody comes up and says, guess what I just decided to do, right? And you know, your uh, exterior voice is, that's good, right? Interior voice, you're going, what are you thinking? That's the most stupid thing in the world, right? Right? Because we're nice people. You know, we're Canadians. We don't say everything that we think. All right? So the thing is, we do this with other people all the time to think, wow, you should really look ahead at that. You should really play the movie forward. It's interesting. Uh, I, I am not a coach, but I, I hang out with people who do life coaching. And one of the questions they asked, I thought it was a brilliant question. They said, what would you say to a friend who is making the same decision you're making? <laughs> what would you say to a friend that's making the same decision you're making? And sort of step back and you play that movie forward. This includes big things, small things what we watch, how we spend our money, just how we interact with other people. So week number two, we talked about relationships. Last week, it was all about relationships. And we said uh, that we are created to live in relationships. As a lot of you know, uh, part, one of my hobbies is biology. I just love the study, especially, especially neurology. And uh, I, I love the idea about how our brains are the biggest 
miracle in the universe, let alone like black holes, you know, quarks, all that other stuff. Our brains are the most amazing miracle in the universe. We have these things called spindle cells, which have thousands more than any other creature that have brains. And these spindle cells move directly from from eyesight right into the amygdala, that sort of emotional part of our body. And this is why we pick up things before we think things through. You You can sort of pick up emotions. We are built to be empathetic. We're built to be able to pick up other people's emotions. Why? Because God created us to be in relationship. We have all kinds of other neurons called mirror neurons that we mirror the, uh, the uh, actions and reactions of other people. It's interesting. They do experiments with this with somebody with a Band-Aid and they, they wince. Ah. And, and you, they, they look to see how many other people wince. And not too many people do unless you have eye contact. Unless there's a, a, a relational contact, there is this, there's this setup in our brain. We go, ah, oh, Ah, oh, so that is so important just to have eye contact, and that's why we ask Church on the Rock partners, even the most quiet of you, have eye contact, smile and nod. All right, smile and nod. It's, it's good, it's safe to be able to love people here. But we also said that not all relationships are created equals. There's acquaintances, casuals, and closer, uh, closer relationships. And the closer relationships are built around this idea that we're traveling in the same life direction. There is a uh, educationalist called Frank Smith, and uh, I had to read a lot of his, uh, his uh, works for, for my studies. He says, we learn from individuals or groups with whom we identify. These are my people. If these are my people, all of a sudden, I'm now this magnet. I'm this learning machine to be able to pick up things from other people. He says it's so natural. As he sort of dryly writes in his book, he says, um, he doesn't know of any parents who are not worried about their child, who, who their child is hanging out with just because their child is a slow learner. The idea, we know that whoever we hang out with, they're going to learn that no matter how much they intellectually learn on other levels. Our, so our closest relationships determine our direction. And that's why I believe God invented the church. God made us relational animals and invented the local church so we could be in relationships with each other and that we can encourage each other. We can stimulate other, each other to love and good deeds and that we can help each other because our identity is found here. And, and because of that, we become little Christians as we go, little Christ as we go out. And that is the power of relationships, that our closest relationships determine our direction. And so we talk about here, let's let's get involved in small groups. Let's grab a mentor. Let's just shake hands with a sneezer. We talked about that last week. See somebody that loves Jesus just so much and go and catch the real disease and make sure you catch that disease again and again. Well, here's our next one. Lesson number three, lesson number three in the book of Proverbs and the whole idea of playing the movie forward. The book of Proverbs has a lot of individual verses and uh, that, that's an easy one to read because you can just read about three or four and you don't miss the flow of, uh, of a story. But it's interesting, uh, the book of Proverbs also has little tiny books within the book. For instance, uh, the most of the chapter 19 and 14 are all about the fool. So you start to read, you know, all kinds of things. If you want to learn about the fool, there's like many, many books within the book of Proverbs. There are two other mini books within the book of the Proverbs. And they're talking about the same kind of animal, but very different kinds of animals. And here we're going to say, okay, here we go. In chapter 6, it talks about the 
sluggard. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great to be, if somebody said, you are a sluggard, you know, it's like I imagine a knight, you know, and a slug on their, their crest, right? You just move slow. You don't really do a whole bunch. And uh, not only uh, Proverbs chapter six, Proverbs chapter 26 is about the sloth, the sloth. I discovered something about the sloth this week. It can sleep 18 hours a day. Yeah, I know. Some of you are saying, praise the Lord. I've signed me up. I want to sleep 18 hours a day. Please do that. Interesting. The Desert Fathers, the Desert Fathers early in, uh, in Christianity, uh, identified what they called seven deadly sins. Seven deadly sins aren't in the Bible, but I sort of looked up a little bit, read a little bit about it. And, and the deadly sins are not the worst sins. The idea is a deadly sin... That sin leads to other sins. That leads to a lifestyle of sin. That leads to uh, just a, a life that is not healthy. They picked out seven deadly sins. And the last one is interesting, is sloth. You go, really? Is that a huge, massive sin? Like of all the other ones, why didn't they pick out gossip or you know, slander? I could see that that would be like a, a, a big one but they picked out sloth for some reason. And so we're gonna talk a bit about work and what the book of Proverbs says about work and what the word of God says a little bit about it. Uh, in our culture right now, there are two, almost two extremes. On one side, there are people who worship work, that love work, that, that, that get into it so much that they, they sort of mortgage their family, mortgage the rest of their life, and just to be able to do more work. And they can't seem to slow down. They can't seem to take time off. They can't seem to unplug. And they become very neurotic. And at the end of their life, they can look back and not say, oh, I wish I spent another 20 hours at work. It's this weird thing where their life is stolen away by work. There's some people on that side of the spectrum. And then almost in reaction to that, there are other people on the other side that believe work is a curse. That is a horrible thing. In fact, the biggest thing we need to do is get out of as much work as possible. The winner actually has as least amount of work to, be, uh, to do as possible, which is interesting if you think about it, isn't it? Imagine if that were the case, the unemployed person that has no job whatsoever, they should be the most rested. They should be the most fulfilled. They should be the happiest, right? Because they have no work. Why isn't the case, that the case? Why isn't the ultimate of seeing work as a curse not a good thing? Right, let's just look at a little bit uh, for, for a moment that God, first of all, created us to work just as he created us to be in relationships. He created us to work. In creation, before the fall, he gave people to work, uh, people uh, to do work in a perfect world. He told Adam to go name animals. You say, that's a cush job. I get it, you know. I, I still have a, a, a T-shirt that says, mm, aardvark. And, on it. and do you know how, how hard was that to do? But that's not all. He was, he was actually, he made the first farmer. And those of you who like puttering in the garden, you know that this is, this is true. Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. I can't say that again, to work it and take care of it. We are created in God's image 
And so that this idea of, of, yeah, I am made to actually do something, even before the fall, before everything fell apart, it is something we're, we're made to do. In fact, God continues to work, it says in John 5, 17. In his defense, Jesus said to him, my father is always at work to this very day. And I'm, I too am working. The idea is God is actively working with us in partnership to see the world being drawn back to himself. So God did not just do his work, get into Sabbath and say, all right, I'm good with Sabbath. I'm gonna sit back and let you do it all. No, God is actively working along with us in partnership for all the things that we do. I read this interesting thing, too, about a church father called Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr lived in the early 100s uh, A.D. And so here's, here's this uh, the wild thing. So we know John, John the disciple, John the disciple, John the, the apostle. Well, he took on a, a, someone to mentor, and that was this person. It is it's pretty wild, and this is what he said. This is, uh, this is what he said, Justin Martyr. He said that by the second uh, century in Galilee, he saw farmers that still used plows made by Jesus. Isn't that cool? That Jesus was a carpenter. Remember that part of the story? <laughs> Jesus made plows. And, and, and Justin Barter said, there were still plows that lasted so long because Jesus' workmanship was done so well with so much excellence that they lasted for a very long time. I think it's so intriguing to think that Jesus actually worked with his hands. We will work in heaven. Uh, the recreated heaven is going to be uh, coming to earth. And, and the recreated heaven and recreated earth is going to come together in, in almost like a reinvention of the Garden of Eden. Revelation 22, 3, it says, we will serve him. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 12, it says, those who endure will reign with him. We don't know what work is, but we know in heaven and in the next life, we're going to be busy. John, L, uh, sorry, uh, Randy Acorn uh, writes about this. He says, we'll also have work to do in the next life. Satisfying and enriching work that we cannot wait to get back to. Work that will never be a drudgery. So point number one. It's that work is not a curse. It's not evil. It's not horrible. But on the other side, God also created rest. And this was in a culture where there was no rest. Uh, the cultures around them, Egypt had no, no day off. When you were a slave, you worked 24-7, literally. And so out of that culture, God made a law saying, no, you need to be able to work, work, work six days a week, and then you have to take a whole day off. I happened to be in Jerusalem once for a Sabbath. It was like really cool. You see people running off the streets because no one was on the streets once the sun went down on Friday night. And you just looked out there, the place was empty. Everyone was in their homes. Everyone was resting and eating and, and just, just taking downtime, like everyone. Every so often I look out the window, nobody's out there. That's so weird. You'd think somebody would be out there, right? Nobody was out there. It's interesting what the, the rabbis talk about Sabbath. That it, it, uh, it was to be able to be for our, our rest. Uh, Sabbath was made for us, not for God. But it also had this sort of second thing. The idea is that it interrupts work that is not yet done. Because we don't like finish our work and then go, 
great, I can rest now. No, in the middle of having the things undone, and that's really hard for Myers-Briggs uh, uh, J's to do. Okay, it's not complete, right? Ah, I have to rest. It's not done yet. Okay, I'm sorry about that. But you have to be able to say, okay, I am going to unplug even though it's not done yet. And why? Why? And uh, this is uh, a long time ago, I uh, had opportunity to, uh, 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 well, we had an opportunity to uh, homeschool Cara, my, my daughter. And so uh, I remember working downstairs, <laughs> typing away on, on a message, right? And uh, I hear this little knock. And I know she's home, you know, doing schoolwork. And uh, okay, I, like I'm right in the middle of a really good thought, right? I go, Can, just, just a minute, okay. <laughs> like, how do you say no to that, right? Okay, come on down. And so she comes down, and she sits on my lap and gives me, like, a, a piece of artwork. I go, look. You know, she goes, look what I done. And, you know, the computer screen's still open, right? I just had to shut it off. Let me see what you done. <laughs> you, know what I was, you know what I was saying at that moment? You are more important than my work. You are more important than my work. And that's why God created Sabbath. He asks us to be able to work six days a week, just keep on working. Work is good. We're created for work. But then all of a sudden, someday, I take my Sabbath on Tuesdays. It's not about the day, but sometime in your life, in an afternoon, in the evening, or someplace, you have to unplug, even though everything's not not done yet, and say, okay, God, this is about you because you're more important than my work. And so God somehow wants us to live in that wonderful tension is I made you to work. I don't want you to be sloths or slugs, but you also need to have rest. And so... And so, how are we going to do that? Let me, let me give you some suggestions. Let me give you two suggestions uh, in the, the time that's remaining. Number one, number one, we need to be able to see work as worship. I love that, uh, I love that, that video up there. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. With all your heart. In other words, don't putter around with it. Don't, oh, I, I hate this. Oh, I guess I'll have to do it, all right? Don't do any of that. Work with it with all your heart. How can I do that, God? Because this is hard. Well, will you do it as working for God? Know who your boss is, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. What, hold on, hold on. I thought I only got a reward for doing, like, Church things. As a pastor, I would like to try and sell that to you, but it's not true. The idea is God will reward you for working for him in whatever job that you're doing. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? So, uh, yeah, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Probably, the, I, I lived through a, a, an example of this. This is probably the most powerful story, sort of metaphor that, that sticks in my mind. Uh, I, I, uh, I took a, a group of kids to Poland to do a missions trip. Why Poland? It was a weird set of circumstances. But anyway, we, we took a whole bunch of teenagers to Poland to be able to, to, do, some, uh, to do some mission work. Uh, part of it, we're going to be doing dramas on the streets and sharing our faith. Part of it, we are going to help build a chapel at a seminary. And so we had to clear a forest. We had to do some brickwork. 
And uh, many of these teenagers had not done a lot of, of manual labor, let's just say. They, they had never really understood what sweat was. It was fascinating. Um, I remember one mother coming up to me and said, uh, make my son work. <laughs> and I go, okay. And she said, he wouldn't even pack his own suitcase. Anyway, I think that's a problem in another way. But anyway, okay, great. So we got these kids. Okay, let's, let's get these trees down. Let's delimb them. And I, you know, I could see they're dragging their feet going, Oh, I'm so thirsty. I'm thinking I'm going to die. What is this stuff? You know, and that's the first hour. And, 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 and we, we're just like, and I'm bringing water to the people who are doing bricklaying. Casey, one of, the, one of our adult volunteers, he came. He's a bricklayer, and he showed them all how to do, how we do bricklaying here. It's a lot, lot faster, and that was kind of fun. And I remember this one, one kid, I can't do anymore. We had to lift up this, this big tree. And, and uh, he said, okay, we got to carry this tree. He says, you'll get the fat end. Okay. So I got the fat end. He's got the skinny end. He didn't know how physics worked. So I just hefted it up and, and put it up high. So all the weight was on him. <laughs> how come the skinny end is so heavy? <laughs> Oh, man. There was no air conditioning in that place, man. Middle of summer, it was bad. And so we all went to the basement of the seminary, which was not, uh, was not complete. And uh, the, the whole idea of having soda or like a carbonation just was not a thing at that moment. And so, uh, so uh, you know, we, we, sent, we, we got a lot of money, more money than it was really worth to be able to get a, a case of Coke. So we spent a lot of money. Somebody went off to get some Coke. They brought it back. And before we all did anything with it, we all, we all passed it out around the circle. We're sitting on the, the, on, on the ground on concrete. And we all were, were huddling a can of Coke. Beautiful. It was warm, warm Coke. But we all just like, like did the little tab and let it sprish, you know, over our face. <laughs> and then we, we just... We, we just sort of sipped it. And as almost a worship moment, we were sipping Coke. And uh, I thought, this is a good teachable moment. So I said, okay, what we're going to do, once you're done with your Coke, uh, let's build an altar in the middle. Let's put your empty can of Coke down. I want you to say, God, I did this for you. And uh, I remember how meaningful that was. You know, one kid says, God, I carried Buckets of water for you all day. I worship you. You know, the guy with the tree, I carried heavy trees <laughs> for you, Jesus. And he put the can there. I worship you. And we all went around, and all of a sudden it changed our attitude about what we did instead of complaining, why did we hear, why are we here, why is it so hard, to I'm doing this for you, God. We were able to see work as worship. Uh, that's why God can ask us, don't complain about anything. It's not just uh, a weight on us. If we change our mind and see the things that we do, actually, as a worship to God, it can, we can actually switch our mental image to say, God, I'm going to give you what I've done today as worship to you, even though it was hard, even though it was unfair, even though I had to work with that person again. <laughs> I put up with them <laughs> for you, 
Jesus. I think that is one of the ways that we can actually act through, see our work as worship. And the next thing, this is a two-point sermon, so we're almost there, almost there, home stretch. Okay, here we go. The next thing at Proverbs chapter 6 says this, uh, Proverbs 6, 6, go to the ant, you sluggard. There it is again, beautiful complimentary word. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food it harvest. Have you ever looked at, at ants, right? I, I'm sure we all have, you know, like little boys just before you stomped on them. But anyway, you, you can just see, what are they doing? They're following a little pheromone trail, right? And they're all like going and picking up something. They're all taking, what are they doing? They're all taking one grain of sand somewhere, aren't they? They're all moving a whole bunch of stuff, one grain of sand at a time. One grain of sand at a time. Now, I, I've seen a, uh, a video of this anthill in Africa, okay? I'm not sure if we have the picture or not, if, uh, if we can uh, throw that up there. But what they did, they, they found it was vacated from, from ants. And so they thought, let's really see how big the subterranean uh, ca caverns are. So they've started to pour concrete down. They didn't realize how much concrete was needed to fill up the, ca the, the little uh, the ant uh, uh, whatever you call them, tunnels. Yeah, that, that's what they are. And so they, they did this for three days. They kept on trucking in more cement. And 10, get this, 10 tons of cement went into the, to the ant tunnels. And as they looked, they, they started to uh, excavate these tunnels. And there you see them, them going. And that is all done by ants. One grain at a time, one grain at a time. So the Bible tells us, go and look at the ants. Go study ants. Uh, how can they do so much? You know how they can do so much? They just do the next thing. They just take one little thing at a time. And they keep on going one grain at a time. I think some of us uh, bump up against projects that are massive in our lives work projects, just family things that we have to do. And, and, and the size and the, um, the normity of it just is so discouraging to us. And, 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 and something in, how are we ever going to do this? Man, I face that all the time. I, I, I hear that little voice in the back of my, Dave, give up now. It's, there's no way. It's like too big of, 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 of a piece of work. No way you can do this. I remember I felt that uh, doing a, this one, one little uh, part of my education that, that I did, uh, happened to do my doctorate. And in seven years, I stretched it out as long as you could do it. I did it part-time while, while I was working. And uh, so I, I came to the part where I had to write a dissertation, a, a thesis. And, um, and I found out it was going to be about 1,000 pages. And a 1,000-page paper, that's big. And the guy looks at me and says, that's not what it is. He says, you're going to keep on bringing that thing back to me. You're going to do that for four years. You're going to work on it for 30 hours a week for four years. Yay. And I'm paying you to do this? <laughs> I remember just being overwhelmed. How can I do this? And, and, and my bibliography grew from five books to three books to 20 pages of just bibliography of books I had to read. And... I discovered something. Guess what? I just had to read the next book. 
I just had to type one more paragraph, and I just had to get one more chapter in, which he would send back with, filled with red ink. They still do red ink at the height of education. So discouraging. I discovered something. Here's why I discovered. In this, this is my practical step. I didn't want to do it. And so I'd pray for strength. God, help me to do this. And you know what? I still didn't want to do it. So God, help me. And here, here's what I discovered. I just discovered I needed to take a step of faith. Okay, I'm going to do it without feeling. I'm going to do it afraid. I'm going to do it sore. I'm going to do this, this, this hard thing. I'm going to take one step of faith and God's strength was there. That was awesome. That was easier than I thought it was going to be. And it gives me another step. And another step. It reminded me of a, a biblical story. The beginning of Joshua's life. Joshua's going to go into the promised land. Imagine that task. You have a bunch of people, complaining people, who are, you're going to have to form into an army, and you're going to have to, to defeat many nations. That's just going to be hard. It's just, it it bog, would boggle my mind. So in the midst of this, what do you do? They're at the Jordan River, and they're going to start. And so this is what God told them to do. Joshua 3.3, and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, they're going to get their feet wet. Its waters flowing downstream will cut off and stand up in a heap. In other words, I'm going to sort of recreate the Red Sea thing. You know, remember how that happened? <laughs> no, no, you all died off. Anyway, your parents had a really cool experience with, with me where, where I, I, I did the Red Sea thing. But you're going to have to get your feet wet. Take a step. And if you believe me enough that I'm going to be with you, take a step, pray for power, and then the waters will recede and I, I will help you. And so in the same way, we need to be an ant. Just do the next thing. God, help me. Help me to do the next thing. As, uh, as one writer said, we're more likely to act our way into a new way of thinking than to think our way into a new way of acting. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? So, many proverbs talk about the sluggard and the sloth, about how hard that first step is. Proverbs twenty two thirteen says, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. Talking about an excuse, right? Oh, I just don't want to do it. You know what? Something bad's going to happen. <laughs> because the first step is that hard step, that step of faith. Proverbs 6, 10 to 11. A little extra sleep, a little extra slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Ah, oh, getting up is hard, isn't it? Just, ah. Oh. That's why, you know, Satan made, you know, snooze buttons. I, I, I don't know. It's just hard to get up. It's difficult to take this first step, but be an ant. Take a first step of faith and say, God, will you meet me when I put my foot in the Jordan? Will you meet me there? I need you to do this for me. I believe God's called each person to do something in their life. It might have to do with your family, which is massive, to bring up the next generation in love with God. And that takes intentional, hard-focused work. 
Others of you have other callings on your life. And God wants you to do that. He has given you work to do. But you know what? You can't do it in your strength, but somehow you just got to be like an ant saying, okay, I'm going to put my foot, I'm going to, I'm going to open the Bible. I'm going to read my kids something from the Bible. Ah, oh, that's going to be hard. They're going to go, ew, what are you doing, right? And then you pray and ask that God would be with you and help you and strengthen you. You come up to somebody and say, hey, can I pray for you? That's hard. Isn't that hard to do? Oh, you think, ah, oh, I don't want to be super religious. So we say nothing. Be a strong witness for Jesus. <laughs> but you'll be, you'll be surprised. God, help me. God, help me. Do you mind if I pray for you? Oh, that was hard. That was awkward. I would love you to. Thank you. You'll find out that God will meet you there in powerful and wonderful ways. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. Uh, I remember loving to write, loving to write. I love writing. There's something about getting the mess in my head down on paper that I just, it's good, it's just good for me. And then you have to also know that I am a really bad writer, like really bad. I, I remember took a, a writing course in university and in the writing course at the end, the, my, my prof came up to me and said, Dave, I'm, I'm gonna pass you. But let me just tell you, you'll never write anything in your entire life. <laughs> and he said, you shouldn't. <laughs> I was that bad. And so I've gotten 10 times better, which still puts me at a failing grade. But you know what? I love doing it. I think God asked me to do it. And so when no one asks me to write, no one asks me to, you know, publish a book, I just write down. And I've, I've done that for decades and decades. One chapter at a time. No audience. I'm just doing this because I think God wants me to do it. I'm an ant. I'm picking up one grain of sand per load. Because of that, I've been able to write all kinds of books, and it's exciting to me. But I look back, I look back and often I think we look for opportunities from God to come in a limo. And they come in a work truck with shovels. <laughs> God, give me an opportunity. Where's the limo coming? And the work truck comes with the shovels. And he asks us to go and actually take some first steps into seeing God work in and through us. The book of Proverbs put too many books in there for a reason. He wants us to be able to, to use the gifts that he has given us. And so two ways to do this. At Church on the Rock, we try and be painfully, painfully practical. First of all, to know who your boss is and say, God, I'm going to do this for you today. And number two, just act like an ant. Just do the next thing. I'm going to do the next thing. In your power, I'm going to do that. And you know what's going to happen? Your work life will start to have more meaning. It will start to have more purpose. It will be something that God will be glorified in. And guess what? You get a reward in heaven for that. And that's a good thing. And that's what I want for each one of us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, God, you are good, good, good to us for the wisdom that is in your word. It is so good and powerful and practical. God, now give us the power to be able to do the next thing. Give us the change of mind so we can see you as our boss. So God, help us to be wise people. In Jesus' name, amen.